This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Our sermon text this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 35. And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." This is God's word. Thanks be to Thank you. Please be seated. Again, good morning. Welcome to New City Central. Uh, again, I'm Ted Sin. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, this morning, we're going to pick back up in our series uh, through the unique passages of Luke. So uh, during the Advent season, uh, leading up to Christmas, uh, we not only studied the passage that detailed the birth of Jesus, but we studied uh, a lot of passages um, that Luke offers to us about the days, weeks, and the months prior to Jesus's birth. And so now that we're uh, at this place of being after Christmas, uh, for a few weeks here, uh, we're going to look at some of the stories that are only found in Luke, so unique passages of Luke. We're going to look at some stories uh, that tell of some events that happened in Jesus's life from the time between his birth uh, and his ministry. So we're going to look at some stories uh, with Jesus uh, uh, growing up, if you will. And so, for example, in today's text that was just read uh, for you, we we read of Jesus as a baby. Uh, He's being brought to the temple by Joseph and Mary. He's being brought there to fulfill the various aspects uh, of the law that pertain to them, uh, their place in life. And while he's in the temple, uh, this newborn child, this one sort of beginning uh, his earthly life, uh, he he is grabbed and blessed, and he is sung to uh, by one who is at the end of his earthly life, Simeon. Um, the first century, uh, first century BC, uh, Roman poet uh, Horace wrote this: "One night awaits us all. One night awaits us all. There is one night that awaits all of us. There is one night that we will all encounter. Many, but not all of us, will encounter a wedding night. Uh, many, but not all of us, will encounter that first sleepless night with a newborn. Uh, many." Uh, But not all of us will encounter that first lonely and hellish night after being betrayed. Some, but but not all, will encounter that first night of homelessness after a tragedy. 
And Horace writes that there is just one night, one night that awaits us all. And of course, the night of which Horace writes is the night that is death. It is the night that is dying. In line with our text, our topic this morning is dying. Our topic is the moment of physical death. That split second, if you will, where one goes from being physically alive to being physically dead. That split second, if you will, where one will cease to exist in this age and realm and where one will begin to exist in the next one. As I said, we find Simeon in our story at that one night that awaits us all. It says in verse 26 that we find him at the night where he will see death. Now, I know this can be an awkward and painful and hard topic, but I have to ask you the question, what is your perspective on your death? What are your thoughts and your feelings regarding your dying when I ask you that question? As I said, I know it's awkward. In fact, statistically and experientially, I know that it's awkward for any person to talk about their own death. But I also know statistically and experientially that fear, the fears in and around dying, are humanity's greatest fears. So I know it's uncomfortable to talk about, but I find it a little bizarre. I find it bizarre that in light of the fact that we're all going to die, I find it bizarre that we don't talk about it more. It may be better said, every one of us, for every one of us, our earthly existence is going to come to an end. Whether we talk about it or not, it's going to happen. Uh, each of us, regardless of where we are in this continuum between the baby Jesus and the man about to die, Simeon, regardless of where we are, this reality will one day no longer be your reality. What's your perspective on death? What, what, is, what, what are our thoughts and feelings on that one night that awaits us all? I would tell you that our text shows us and graciously offers to us Simeon's perspective on death. I want to study Simeon's perspective on death this way. What, why, and how? What was Simeon's perspective? Why was that his perspective? And how can his perspective be ours as well? I think we're going to want it once we listen to it. First, what was Simeon's perspective on his death? In verses 21 through 24, it's a text we're going to look at in a bit. Luke describes why Joseph and Mary and Jesus were at the temple, okay? Uh, In verse 25, we read of a righteous and a devout Israelite named Simeon, a man with an intimate connection to and relationship with God. And in some way, that's not specified in the text, but in some way, the Spirit reveals to Simeon that he would not see death, he would not die until his eyes had seen the Messiah. And so what you have in Simeon from that day forward is a man living life, knowing that his time is up when he sees Jesus. The Spirit in verse 27 brought Simeon to the temple on the day that Jesus was there as an infant, and Simeon sees Jesus. And in the Spirit, he knows that this is the Christ. He knows that this is Messiah. But more than that, he knows that this is the night, his night, the night that awaits us all. Verse 29 gives Simeon's perspective on his own death. Look with me. Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
The word that is unfortunately rendered as depart in our translation is the Greek word that means to set free, to release, to liberate. In the Greco-Roman culture, most uh, servants, most slaves were not born into servanthood. They were not born into slavery. Uh, Also, most servants and slaves uh, were not kidnapped and and sold into slavery against their will. Most servants, most slaves in the Greco-Roman culture placed themselves in slavery on purpose to pay off a debt. And, And the word depart in our translation is the Greek word to release, to set free, to liberate. And in the Greco-Roman culture, this word was most commonly used of the time when a servant had fulfilled their time and had paid off their debt, when, when the servant was becoming free. It was glorious. It was sweetly anticipated. It was a day that the servant looked forward to. Simeon literally says of his death, now, master, according to your promise, you're setting free your servant into peace. For Simeon, his death was welcome news. It was a promotion. It was literally freedom. As odd as it sounds, his long-awaited death, his deeply anticipated night, had finally arrived. In verse 28, Simeon took Jesus into his arms. He blessed God. He praised God. He doesn't say with indignation, no, not yet. He does not say with resignation, ah, crud, I guess this is it. He says with joy, thank you, praises to you, you're setting me free. How different from us is Simeon? Would the conversation on our own death be as awkward and as avoided if we really, truly saw it this way? How could the church impact the world if we lived as though our own death was a promotion, a release, something to be sweetly anticipated? If humanity's greatest fears are in and around the moment of dying, what impact could we make as a culture if we lived out this biblical perspective on our own death? I'm going to offer two qualifying thoughts. First, Simeon is exemplary, not extraordinary. He's exemplary, not extraordinary when it comes to our perspective on our death. So so look at what the text does not say. It's not going to be there because it doesn't say it. But look at the text and look at what it does not say. It does not say that Simeon was old. He may have been old, but we don't know. All Luke says is that he's a devout, faithful, spirit-filled follower of God. Think about what it does not say. It doesn't say he was a priest. He may have been, but but most likely he's not. Luke loves titles. He loves details. If he was a priest, I think Luke would have told us. In fact, in this very chapter, the people that appear before Simeon are described as shepherds, and the woman that appears after Simeon is described as a prophetess. And I'm thinking that if he was a priest, Simeon would have been identified as a priest. I don't think he is. What's the point? He's exemplary, not extraordinary. In other words, this is the perspective the Bible provides for all Christians for their death. 
He's exemplary in the sense that he models it, but he's not extraordinary as if the Bible expects less from us or offers less to us. I think we think Simeon is a man of the cloth, and that explains his response. Or I think that we think that Simeon was old and his beautiful wife of 57 years has just recently passed away. And and all four of his children are doing well. There was that one that rebelled for a season, but they came back, wrote the book, and everything is just fine. I think we think that Simeon had a good business, was always successful, never a workaholic. I think we think that Simeon embraces death with joy and expectancy because he lived a good, long American life. He experienced all that we would want to ever experience, and now he's old and tired and lonely. No, Luke just says he's a human, a faithful, spirit-endowed human. He's exemplary, not extraordinary. This is what God offers to every one of us. This is what God expects from each of us. Think about the apostle Paul in Philippians. He's in prison He could face the emperor at any moment. He could be dead within the hour as he sits, chained, as he sits and thinks about his own potential death. He says in Philippians, I'm torn. On the one hand, the church needs me, but on the other hand, I want to die. Paul's like, the choice is not mine, whether I live or die. The choice is God through Caesar, but my preference is death. I mean, he writes, for me to live is Christ. So if I stay alive, that's fruitful labor. But to die is gain promotion, freedom, release. I think that we think in love with Jesus and in gratitude for the gospel, I should be willing to die. But for Paul, in love with Jesus and in gratitude for the gospel, he was willing to stay alive. You see the difference? Think about Enoch in Genesis. We read of him this week in CBR. Uh, again, it's our, our daily Bible reading plan. In chapter 5, several descendants of Adam are listed in, in identical fashion. And, 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 and part of what is told to us in this listing out uh, of these descendants of Adam in, in, in this repetitious fashion, part of what's told us is how long they live. Adam, 930 years. Seth, 912 years. Enosh, 905 years. And it goes on and on. And then you get to Enoch, and the repetition is broken. And, and we're told something about Enoch twice, and, and, and we're told that he walked with God. It probably means more than this, but at least means this. He was in God's presence, and he was staying in step with God. Do do you remember how long Enoch lived before God, quote, took him? 365 years, 40% compared to the others. We would have thought that God would have said, I really like you. You're walking with me. I'm going to let you live a long time. Instead, God liked them, and he took them, and he didn't make them live a long time. The first qualifying thought that I am saying is this. Simeon is the model for all Christians in regards to their perspective on their own death. Second qualifying thought. While I am saying that, I am not saying this, that Simeon is my perspective on your death. Simeon... His perspective is not my thoughts on your death. It's my thoughts on my death. This is what I mean by that. As I pastor and as I am a family member to people who are dying, 
This is what I mean by that. If I want to be like Jesus, I don't look forward to your death. I do whatever I can to help you live. I don't only rejoice at your death, I grieve deeply as one with hope. Simeon is offering us our perspective on our death, not our perspective on the death of our neighbor. Jesus in John 11, he lives the perfect loving life at the death of Lazarus. And on the one hand, he grieves and he weeps and he's spitting mad at the death and the pain and the evil, the the satanic reality and the suffering. His nose is just dripping with snot because he's so angry and he's so sad. And the Bible calls that perfect love. But on the other hand, he speaks of the hope of the resurrection. He speaks of how physical death is not the end, but it's the beginning of freedom. And Jesus grieves as one with hope at the death of another. In Philippians, Paul can speak of preferring death uh, to life when it's his life. But when he speaks about Epaphras, he, he speaks of Epaphras' ongoing life as valuable. And he speaks of his own anxiety at the thought that Epaphras might die. Are you seeing what I'm saying? This is my perspective on my death, not my perspective on your death. Think about it like this. Les I even hesitate to use a Les illustration because everybody is right now. But it's in theaters right now and the final scene is a, a great illustration of this qualifying point. Jean Valjean is dying. He's sitting in a chair. He is at peace. He can see heavenly realities. He is smiling. He is asking, singing for God to bring him home. Cassette, his daughter, is grieving, weeping, on her knees, asking God for more time. And I sat in the theater on Monday, and I just, I, I just, I tried not to weep because I was Trisha, but I just cried. And I tried to act like there's something in my eyes, like oh, there's some dust in here. I thought about the people in my life and my flock and in my family fighting vicious battles with cancer. I thought that is an incredible picture of Christian community and physical death. The dying is at peace, rejoicing. The living are on their knees, begging and grieving. It's it's exemplary, not extraordinary. It's my perspective on my death, not your death. So what was Simeon's perspective on his own death? Freedom, release, a promotion. What was his affect, joy, and gratitude? The next question is why? Why was that his perspective? Most simply, it's this. Simeon rejoiced at his death because life is hard. And at God's timing, he rejoiced at his death because he was moving into a much better place. Paul in Philippians doesn't know God's timing, but he knows his preference is death. And in his own words, he says, to be with Jesus is far better than being alive on earth. First, life is hard. It's disappointing. It's confusing. It's painful. It's rigorous. It's taxing. The older I get and the more people God gives me responsibility for, the more I find myself begging Jesus, come back. Please come back. This is hard. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for consolation. To console is to encourage one during a, lo- during a loss or disappointment. To console is to comfort one in pain and agony. Life is hard, and Simeon is waiting for the consolation that is brought by the Messiah. Listen, if we don't think life is hard, we're either too young or too numb. 
We're either too young or too numb. We're either not living in community or we're living in exclusive community. We're either not watching the news or we forget that those are real people on the news. It's not just a geological happening. It's an earthquake, a tsunami, a blizzard, a drought, and it's damaging people's property and it is taking people's lives. It's not just a crime report. It's people being robbed and it's people robbing. It's people being shot and it's, it's people shooting. It's not just a celebrity in Europe with a secret past. It is countless young and powerless being raped and oppressed and it is one raping and oppressing. Life is hard. We need consolation. We get sick. We experience loss. We're betrayed. We betray. We're sinned against. We sin against. We're hurt and we hurt. We are selfish sinners living life with other selfish sinners in a cursed, fallen place. It is hard, waiting for consolation. And so first, Simeon saw his death as freedom because life is hard. But second, Simeon saw his death as a promotion because he was going to a much better place. Look at verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Luke tells us, he tells us, Simeon is a devout Jew. He is looking for the Messiah. When he says peace, it it is so much more than what we think of when we hear of someone dying in peace. Uh, Simeon is thinking of the Hebrew shalom. He is looking forward to that perfect peace in every relationship, every dynamic, and every realm of life. He's not talking about peace of mind at the end of a life well lived. That may be part of it. He's talking about shalom. Peace and flourishing with God, peace with self, peace with others, peace with creation. In, in verse uh, 29, it could is easily be translated, you're releasing your servant into peace, into shalom. Peace, being in the Father's unadulterated presence without distraction. Peace, being cool with oneself not beating yourself up, not living in contempt towards yourself, not self-sabotaging, not self-hating, not self-doubting, not self-judging in any way, believing what God says when he says he's cool with us. Peace with self. Peace, being in perfect, flourishing relationships with all other humans. Peace, a place where I can't use you and you can't hurt me. Peace, a place where we can only love and serve and enjoy each other. Peace, being in a creation, being part of creation as it was meant to be. Where nature doesn't destroy itself, where animals don't attack each other and us. Where the child plays with the cobra, where the lion lays down with the lamb in friendship, where the beauty, the creativity, and the vibrancy of God's creation is unleashed for his glory and for our amazement. Simeon says, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're releasing your servant into peace. Shalom. Can you imagine if I told Gentry, my my six-year-old, Gentry, sometime in the future, I'm going to show up at your school. I'm going to take you out of that environment, that that environment where some things are good, that environment where a lot is hard and a lot is painful, and I'm going to take you out of that environment, and I'm going to take you to Disney on a lifetime pass. Your entire existence will be joy and gladness. Can you imagine if I showed up at her school and she's faithfully struggling through a test, she's trying not to look on the paper next to her like her dad did, and 
I call her and I say, honey, you can be done with this. It's time for Disney. Can you imagine how shocking it would be to me and everyone else with indignation? She says, no, not yet. (laughs) Or or resignation. Ah, crud. I guess this is it. I have to go. She would say, thank you, praises to you. You're setting me free. (laughs) What was Simeon's view of that split second where he would go from existing in this age and realm to the existence in the next? Freedom, release, joy. Why was that his view? Because he knew that he was going to a realm where there was no need for consolation. He knew that he was going to a realm of utter flourishing in every sphere, theological, psychological, sociological, geological. He knew he was entering into peace. How? How can Simeon's perspective become our perspective? I mean, I'm motivated. Are you motivated? I mean, think about it like this. What an incredible gift in this life to see our death this way. The reduction of the intensity of our anxiety about humanity's greatest fear. The ability to talk with hope and expectancy about a topic that nobody wants to talk about. The increased ability to take huge risks for the kingdom of God, to not have to play it safe anymore. What impact could we make in the place of humanity's greatest fear if this became a sweetly anticipated night that awaited us all. If this was our perspective on death, think about how how we could handle disappointment and rejection and pain in the here and now. If this was our perspective on death, think about how it might help us not expect and seek so much out of the created things of this life. If this was our perspective, think about how it might help us understand that we cannot ultimately be satisfied in the things of this life in this age. We could rest. What an incredible gift in this life to see our death this way. How does Simeon's perspective become our perspective? In short, we have to see and increasingly see what Simeon saw. Look at verse 30. I'll read it in a moment. In verse 29, Simeon says, you're releasing your servant in peace. Verse 30, for since because my eyes have seen your salvation. What is, what is Simeon seeing? He is seeing Jesus as a baby. He is seeing God in skin. Look at verse 36, verse, uh, I think it's 26 again. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In short, we have to see and increasingly see Jesus if we want to share Simeon's perspective on his death. If you just think about it, in the cradle, in the bend of Simeon's arm is God incarnate. It's the God-man. It's the God-child. It is the one who forever lived, taking on skin. It is the one who moved out of perfect peace into our world, into our pain, into our hardship, into our death. It is the one who forever lived who will die so that when we die, we can live forever. Look at your text. Look at what what Luke shows us about Jesus in this passage. 
At the start of the story, at the top, Luke shows us uh, the start of Jesus' life. At the end of the story, at the bottom, Luke shows us of the end of Jesus' life. So verses 21 to 24, if you'll look there, it's the start of the story. And Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph were obedient Jews, that even in those aspects of Jesus' life that were out of his control, everything was done according to the law of God. In other words, uh, Luke is saying that Jesus was appropriately launched into his righteous life by Joseph and Mary. In verse 21, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day in accordance to Genesis 17. In verses 22 and 24, Mary offered the sacrifice for being ceremonially unclean after giving birth. The sacrifice, quote, according to what was said in the law of the Lord, verse 24. Interestingly, as it says here, Mary and Joseph, they did not bring a a lamb and a bird, but they brought two birds because that's what poor people brought according to Leviticus 12. In verses 22 and 23, in accordance with Exodus 13 and Numbers 3, Joseph and Mary present Jesus to the Lord. They take their firstborn son and they dedicate him to the Lord. And they think back to the Passover in Egypt where God promised to kill his son one day in the place of the Jewish sons, that that, that horrific, horrific night where the Egyptians' firstborn died. And they are presenting their firstborn to the Lord, it says, in accordance with the law. At the start of the story, Luke is showing us that at the start of Jesus' life, everything was done in accordance with the law. Now think about Galatians 4, our call to worship this morning. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law to purchase those enslaved under the law, to die for those who deserve to die for their sins. Okay, but not only does Simeon uh, see a Messiah who, who, who is launched into a righteous life according to the law, but, but he also sees how this perfect Messiah, how his life would come to an end. Look at the end of the story. Mary and Joseph in verse 33 are marveling at what Simeon has said about Jesus. This, this Jesus is God's salvation, he's God's deliverance, and he's available to all peoples, Jew and Gentile. Simeon in verse 34, he blesses, he speaks well of, he celebrates Mary and Joseph, but he says to Mary, look, this child is appointed or designated for the fall and rising of many in Israel. In other words, many will fall or they will die, but they will rise again. This is the New Testament word for resurrection. He's saying many will die, but enter into peace. They will fall, but they'll rise because of Jesus. But then he keeps going. And, and so for, he's appointed, he's destined for a sign that is opposed. In other words, many in Israel will oppose this sign from God. He'll be rejected, treated shamefully, scourged, and killed. In verse 35, Simeon warns Mary, and we're presuming that he only warns Mary because we believe Joseph died before the event, but he warns Mary that her child that is now 40 days old, a 40-day-year-old infant, will one day be opposed, and that she too will experience a sword thrust of grief and sadness. Verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Also, So Simeon is speaking of the sword, the physical sword that will be thrust into Jesus' side when the Roman centurion checks to make sure that he's really dead on the cross. 
And Simeon is holding in the cradle of his arm, he's holding God in skin who would do and live according to the law. He's holding God in skin who would die as if he sinned. The one who forever lived, died. So that when those who believe in him die, they might live forever. Last thought. Think of how Jesus faced his death. Think about how Jesus faced his death in the Garden of Gethsemane. Was, was he like Simeon? At the end, was he rejoicing? At the end, was he seeing it as freedom? Was he seeing it as a promotion? No. He's on the ground in agony. He, he is begging God the Father, please no, please no, not now. Is there any other way? Why isn't he as composed as Simeon? Is he less mature than Simeon? Why? Because at his death, he was not entering into life. He was entering into the hell that we deserve. Because at his death, his descent from heaven to hell was at its climax. When Simeon dies, he walks into God's presence and the Father gives him a cup of blessing and peace. When Jesus dies, he's in the Father's presence taking a cup of wrath and curses. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have turned death upon its head. We thank you that in your death is the death of death. We praise you that in dying for us, you've allowed us to look at our own death and rejoice at the gift you will give us in that event. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your courage. We thank you for your humility. We thank you for taking our shame and our guilt and the wrath of God and the hatred of Satan and taking it upon yourself in our place. Jesus, would you give us your spirit? Would you give your spirit to us in new and fresh ways and would you allow us to laugh at death that we might be able to serve you and others in this life, that we might be freed from what entangles and what binds and what keeps us anxious and that we might just live out our lives waiting for that one night that awaits us all. Again, we praise you that the sting of death is gone. We praise you for the death of death and your death. We stand now to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.